0: This week on the Physio Foundations podcast, I'm going to talk again to new grad physiotherapist Brian Kim about his perspectives on some of the career advice that we've been covering so far on the podcast. So on the 17 episodes that we've had so far of Physio Foundations, we've had some amazing tips and advice from some really experienced clinicians about planning and maintaining their careers and their career momentum and how to create opportunities for themselves and for yourself if, as the listener and how you can open doors that seem locked and how to apply foundational knowledge that you learn in universities to clinical cases and how to balance work and life. So I hope you're finding it really useful and you're finding that this is something that you need to know and it can help you develop your career. Um, lots of really important pieces of advice but I want to get the perspective of a new grad physiotherapist because a lot of this content has been aimed at students and new grad physiotherapists, that particular type of the content on the podcast. So I've invited Brian back on to continue the chat that we had on episode four of the podcast. So if you want an introduction to Brian, go back and have a listen to episode four. Um, but for now, Brian, welcome back to Physio Foundations. G'day Luke. Thanks for having me again. That's a pleasure. So how are you going with work and life? We had a chat well, it's got to be five months ago, and then it aired mm. in January. Um, yeah. And how have you been going with work and life in general since then? Look, a lot of it's been much the same.
1: Like, you know, plodding along with clinical work, just learning so, so much every single day. Like, you feel like sometimes you start to get the hang of things and then, poof, something else will come along. And, you know, you got to remind yourself that you're so early on in the career And you're always learning. And that, from what I've heard, doesn't change either the (laughs) the more years you work. So, yeah. If you're
0: doing it right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So that's good to hear. So your perspectives and the perspectives of any other new grad practitioner are really valuable here because if we're interviewing people who are 20, 30 years into their careers and we're giving advice and tips for what they would have done when they were younger, I think it's really valuable to loop back to you and say, what are you doing right now? And what bits of advice um, and you know tips for your career and anything we can talk about here, mm. what's the most valuable? And so I've got some um, snippets from the, the previous episodes and I won't um, play the snippets on the podcast. You can go back and listen to them. I'll just tell listeners where they are and what, which episodes they're in. And I thought you and I could chat about those. Um, mm-hmm. Before we do that though, um, Let's start general. So you're someone who is really actively involved in your own career development and you're always seeking information and you're always, um, you're the squeaky wheel that gets the oil, I think. So you're always <laughs> sort of talking to people about your career and you're yep. looking for mentoring, looking for different directions you can go in. Is there any career advice that you're really glad so far that you took up?
1: Oh, plenty. Like, as you said, I think I, I'm a bit overzealous as well. I I want to ask so many people about, What's the best path to take? Um, so I'll answer that question by saying uh, there was a bit of advice I got uh, maybe a bit over a year ago before my first job, and I was trying to pick my first job actually, and I had a variety of criteria I was looking at, and some and a piece of advice I received was that really look at how the workplace markets their mentoring. Some places will be quite clear and say, you know, you have X number of hours each week. You have one-on-one time with a senior clinician and that's all well and good. But then you have to couple that with your interview experience and see, well, you know, after the interview, did they provide feedback from that? Did they um, actively get involved in how you are presenting yourself from the get-go? So, look for mentoring that is not just on the job description, but also in your interaction when you first meet your you know, potential workmates or boss too. And yeah, I think that's really helped because that has led me to a job where there has been a heap of mentoring.
0: Hmm. So what does the mentoring look like? Because mentoring can take many different forms and it doesn't necessarily have to all be formal. What does it look like for you?
1: That's a really good question. Um, at the beginning, there was quite a lot of one-on-one um, chats straight after um, seeing patients or at lunch breaks. Uh, as time has progressed and you know people get busy, we've got other new grad clinicians as well. It becomes a lot of informal texting and <laughs> and calling um, just about you know, de-identified clinical cases. Uh, and even if it's like a quick email, Really, it's, it's a mixture of every single mode of communication you could think of. Um it, with COVID, it was a little bit difficult to get some of that practical uh like mentoring sometimes, but look, even then, that's the clinical side. You have all these different avenues of like contacting a senior clinician. And then another part of mentoring, I think, is um, I'm not sure if you were going to touch on this just after but it's support right it's not just clinical support but it's support for your life outside of work emotional support when perhaps something in a case is not going your way and it's getting you down i think you know that that leads to a lot of burnout for people in the healthcare industry in particular like you empathize with so many people some people don't get don't follow the path of recovery that you thought they might and good mentors will provide you emotional support through that as well and talk through how they've managed similar experiences.
0: That's a really good point. Your empathy is such an important part of the healthcare you provide and your connection Mm. with the person, but then, and it sounds cold when you, when you talk about it like this, but you actually have to have emotional detachment in order to help somebody and to see them Mm. from a separate position. Um, and then, that was, so that's a really nice point that you brought up there about not just mentoring, but support and not just support for the logistics of your job or what you need to do or knowledge and skills that you need to, to know and apply, courses you might do, but also that emotional support or training of you as a person as you're developing as well. Mm. Lots of avenues for contacting senior clinicians. It's so a note yeah. I wrote down from what you said there. So mm-hmm. you're looking for not just a a weekly meeting or we can formally talk about patients, but you know, that support as well for what you, um, you know, f- for that interaction with people, that's really good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Susanna talked about this one in episode 16, so a couple of episodes again. So she had two contrasting examples um, of mentoring and support from, from each end of the, um, the extremes of when she had a lot of support in mm-hmm. one working environment and, and less support in another one. Um, I'm taking it from listening to you that you've had nothing but good support and part of I that's been it's how you've chosen your um, the place you're working, which is good. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would agree with that. I'd say it's been positive experiences for mentoring support. support. Um, there have been different experiences. For example, although I do work at a clinic, I also work, <clears throat> um, worked at a football club just as the team physio there. And it's a different environment you know you don't have a senior clinician there but mentoring and support doesn't have to come from above so if you have a hardworking and diligent team of people who are your colleagues so then that's support as well like in a football team you have the head trainer you have the other trainers you have coaches um other board members of the football club, if they're all on the same page, and although they're not a senior clinician, they support you in any any other way. You can't make it to a match. You work around and try to find a best fit replacement for that week with everyone else. If you're it's it's match day and we don't have a certain supply and we don't know where to get it. If you've got other trainers who are experienced and willing to help out, then that's support
0: too. Mm. It's the same with leadership. Leadership doesn't always have to come from above. In fact, it shouldn't Mm. always come from above. It should be coming from below if there's above and below, if there's a hierarchy to it. Um, The same with mentoring and support. That's another really Mm. good point. And so in the episode I mentioned with Susanna, so it's episode 16, it was at 9.25, if you're flicking to that point. Susanna was talking about learning from other practitioners. So watch, learn, listen, ask questions, which is, again, something that you've talked about actively doing um and you were just mentioning there that the support that you get from other practitioners what about the knowledge and skills you know, more the physio or the clinician focused stuff um what have you learned from other practitioners it's hard in private practice sometimes to work to learn directly from someone if you're working one, mm. one on one on your own especially if you're in a room and you're not in an yeah. open setting it's different at a football club um But what opportunities have you made then to watch and learn and listen from other practitioners?
1: Mm. Um, I guess as time goes on in a career, you need to make your own opportunities sometimes. So it's something as simple as, you know, if if I've got 20, 30 minutes spare, then we've got a system in the clinic where you can just ring up the other physio clinic consult rooms So you might just give a quick call and say, I don't have a patient at the moment. Would you and the patient be comfortable for me to shadow for even just 20 minutes? So you just make your own opportunities. You can go in, you can watch, you can observe. Um, And apart from that, it would be actively in those breaks or, you know, whether it's lunch or whether it's just, just after work, popping in, knocking on the door of someone else and saying hi I had this, this, this. I wasn't sure how to manually handle this situation. And a good mentor will talk through it with you and might even say, all right, hop on the bed. This is how we'll do it. <laughs> so
0: that's been really great. Do a demonstration, say, of a of a technique or an assessment exactly. or something that you're asking yeah. about. Yeah, and be hands-on. Yeah. Or, or it could be more instructional or observational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of that will happen if you don't have the- Seek it
1: yourself as well.
0: Yeah, what's the word I'm searching for? Maybe just- I was gonna say tenacity, but maybe just the confidence yeah. just to go up mm. there and say, well, maybe also a sense of belonging. So you, you belong there mm. and you, mm. one of the reasons you're there is to be mentored and be supported and mm. you need that. And you're gonna go up there and ask for it if you need it. Um, yeah. But I don't know it, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to ask for what you need or what you deserve. Yeah. But just by, by saying, hey, I'm available, I need, need some help
1: sorry i was going to say especially as a new grad um i think i have seen other new grads feel that they um it's hard it's hard to ask for help because when you ask for help you're you're admitting you don't know something right um which is not a comfortable situation to be in for many people you kind of have to just get over the pride and ego of um i should know this or should know that look if you don't know it and you've tried to look it up yourself firstly proactively, then that's what, that's what people are for. Like this is, this is what the workplace is for. So get over that hurdle. Um, I struggled a lot with that. Like being like, oh, I feel like I should know how to do this. Like university taught me how to do this, but I just, it doesn't click in my head. Mm. I mean. That's a really good point. Yeah,
0: just ask for help. <laughs> and then you're trying to set the, the limits to where, okay, I should know this. Have I looked it up first? If it's exactly. something, you know, you're not yeah. going to ask questions about things that are easy to find in a textbook or that, you know, mm-hmm. that you should know. You can pretty quickly, by looking something up, figure out whether you should know this or whether this is something that you need more help to apply or put together. So, in that same episode with Susanna and Ebony Rio, so I had Ebony on on episode 12 and 13 as well, which were really good, um, career focused and also tendinopathy and a little bit of pain focused content in those episodes, they were great. Uh, they both talked about make sure physiotherapy or clinical practice, or you could, you could, say you could generalize this to your career um, in general, make sure physio isn't the only thing that you do and make sure that you have you're building skills and interests and ideas outside of what you're doing clinically that you can bring into your clinical work to enrich your practice. And I know that you mentioned this in episode four as well, other things that you do, and you mentioned football, you've got music as well. Um, what else do you do that diversifies and helps you in the, in the clinic? Uh, look, I,
1: I will say I do a lot of things. I think I kind of like have tried to pick up a lot of different hobbies because I've realized that almost – Uh, I don't know if this is too general, almost anything you do outside of work can help in clinic in some way or another. So for example, I, um, I still continue the music stuff, um, playing a band each Sunday and also, uh, you know, I'm involved in a local theater company. So kind of just producing shows for them and yeah, you'd be surprised how many skills are transferable. Um, I don't actively think about, Oh, I'm helping, you know, budget this show or helping uh, manage a venue. Therefore, this will help me with X, Y, Z in my clinical practice. Mm -hmm. But it's little things like, you know, you get to chat with different stakeholders. You kind of just get more comfortable with communicating with people, setting expectations. You'd be so surprised how like it creeps its way into clinical practice.
0: You yeah. don't have, you don't have to feel guilty that you're doing something that's not related to your career, especially when you're young, you want to be doing a wide variety of experiences anyway, but the, and yeah, it's a good point. I've made the point that don't focus too heavily too early on your career and mm. only do that at the um, detriment to other things in your life. Mm. And the guests have spontaneously brought up that same point as well. That's why I'm coming back to it here. Um, it's a good point to think that this, this happens unconsciously as well. This is not something you have to necessarily think about, go and do your things, be interested in life. And there's a lot of skills that are, um, that you develop that will help you with your clinical career. Mm. Mm. What about foundational knowledge and skills? The the question I ask everybody, and I'm not Uh. gonna ask you it again, because you covered that really well in episode four, when you talked about linking basic science and communication and uh, aspects of, Clinical reasoning into what you've been doing as a new grad clinician. Mm-hmm. So, in the months since we last chatted, have you found any additional skills or knowledge that's been helping you? Um, I would say
1: staying on top of evidence-based research um, is always a tricky part, um, but it's a foundational skill that is taught at uni as well, right? How to appraise literature, um, you know, kind of weed out. The stuff that's probably not as trustworthy but to answer your question i think the foundational skill has actually been i don't know how to word this but like placing less of a strict emphasis on research because um a, a nice quote that i heard um i'm gonna have to I, I can't quite remember who said it unfortunately Um, if we do find it (laughs) I'll I'll let you know sure but it's you know if if a research paper if a single research paper changes your clinical practice you're probably not reading enough research papers (laughs) Um, so (laughs) I think yeah there's so many gray areas and the foundational skill has been being a bit more critical of what I read Um,
0: great and yeah that's a good one actually to add in yeah. it's it's good timing for you you've been now a practitioner for less than two years yeah less still less than two years yeah yep. so in those early days you've you come out of university not only with skills to read and appraise literature and knowing what a clinical guideline and the systematic review is and knowing where to where to find high quality papers and how to read the methods section as ebony was talking mm. about in her episodes but also um you know with some fairly up-to-date content knowledge from the literature as well for example Mm. you know the diagnostic criteria for osteoarthritis or tendinopathy Mm. or or any of these topics or we we need to think beyond musculoskeletal as well so any any diagnostic criteria at all you could go to a clinical guideline and and look at that you come out of university with those skills and also some up-to-date knowledge it's what what you don't have necessarily is the experience and then understanding the specific patients and their likely, how they're gonna respond to treatments as well. So the Mm. three parts of evidence-based practice, you've got the patient's values and then your experience and then the evidence, you come out strong with the evidence, but then you're trying to build your patient experience and your own personal experience as well. And not to focus too much on limiting yourself to literature, but then keeping your eye on it as well. So that's a good answer Mm. actually, you've come back to you know, appraising the literature is a skill. So what do you, how often do you read an article? Oh how, how often do you look things up and say, hang on, I need to look that up. I'm not just going to look at Bruckner and Khan. I'm going to actually go and mm. do a, a proper search of the literature and read up mm. on this. Oh, look, to be frank,
1: probably uh, it's tough to, tough to give a ballpark. I think it helps that our clinic has started an initiative where uh, each three every three weeks, I think we we put up a research article together and we use we kind of discuss it all together as you know the 10 or so clinicians that we are. So at least every three weeks we'll we'll kind of dive deep into one topic.
0: Like a little journal club.
1: Yeah. And then apart from that, it really it really does depend. I think a lot of my a lot of my work does focus on the clinical side and then it's hard to keep, it's, it's always hard to keep up to date. And then going back to that work-life balance thing, you you kind of feel pressured to think, ah, uh, should I, if I don't know 100% what I should be doing all the time, should I be reading articles? Should I be like reading Bruckner and Khan every night until I do know it? But then you, you'll
0: burn yourself out as well. You so will. yeah, every night doesn't uh, sound too much fun. Yeah. I think it's got to come to know. you. There's going to be times when you really want to know you've got a gap there and you think, and yeah. hey, I've got a little bit of time and it's tempting to sit back and just, just rest there. Can you fill that time in with a little bit of a search of the literature or look in the textbooks mm. and then it's gotta be something that you're passionate about. Back to that mm. episode title from Ebony's um, yeah. episode 12, wasn't it? So have, having a career that you're passionate about, you're not going to be passionate for your whole career if you're loading yourself up with all these things that you think you should have to do you should Mm -hmm. do you have to do every night reading brookner and And i think you're um i think having a balance there is really important as well yeah so in your episode four one of your big tips for all clinicians so particularly for new grade clinicians was doing a really good subjective assessment or patient interview and considering Mm. the whole person um in the months that have passed since we last had this had a similar chat um Mm -hmm. are there any other questions that you might ask someone to, to try to consider the whole person? Anything else beyond just the body chart and beyond the symptoms that they're telling you about that you mm. might consider?
1: Uh, that's a,
0: yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of the extra
1: questions that I've asked over the past months have come to me naturally. So I can't, it's hard to put a finger on something in particular. If anything, um, I think I've, I've placed a lot of focus on People's personality types and how they're motivated. I don't know if that's a question I ask per se in the subjective, but it's it's something that I try to gauge from the person because at the end of the day, we're clinicians. We want to educate. We want to treat. Whether it is through um, whether it is through manual therapy or exercise based rehabilitation, you need to know how someone's motivated. You in a in a sense, you need to be like a salesman because. You need to know how to connect with the person and know their why. It doesn't matter if you understand all their symptoms and know exactly what's going on if they're not on board. So just you know, keep, the, keep the subjective going. I, I asked a few people, like, look, outside of the reason you're here today, tell me something interesting about yourself. Because okay. it's just a, just a simple rapport building. Because as you build rapport, you kind of understand what motivates them as well. Um, that that can help you build analogies for education as well, mm, mm. and it can just help you. You know, helps with adherence too.
0: I'm glad yeah. I asked that. I threw that one at you out of the blue, <laughs> just by looking yeah. at the the timestamps in your. Because I've been putting a lot of effort into these timestamps in all uh-huh. the episodes in the show notes, so you can go through and click on if you find something you find interesting you click on it and go straight to that point and that was at um, six minutes 57 seconds into your episode four you know do a good okay. subjective assessment and consider the whole person was your take-home point there and yeah. considering the whole person where i was going with that question was you know anything else that you've thought broadly medically about you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're doing more screening for those seronegative arthropathies or you're asking more questions about that per people's social history. I was thinking more about things that just fit yeah. into the, onto the medical notes. And then you've come up with, you know, asking the person to tell them something interesting, throw something yeah. interesting <laughs> and try to get to know them because you want to know, you want to get to know the person so you can help them and you can connect with them and build that empathy. Mm. Uh, and that's so important for someone who's really good at their job but if they've got their head in the books the whole time they're going to find it hard to connect with the person and if you don't connect with someone they're going to go elsewhere Mm, absolutely so that was a good answer
1: i don't know what else to say to be honest like the the social history and the the past medical red flags um we did talk a bit about that last time and i yeah, I wouldn't say anything's changed in that regard, but yeah, the rapport building is something that is less, it's less formulaic, so I think it's harder to talk about in general.
0: Mm. But yeah, but making an attempt to build rapport, in however you do that, is important. So, mm. so it's been a really quite a broad episode. Rather than talking mm. about specific knowledge and skills and anatomy and physiology, we touched on evidence based practice, but rather than looking very specifically, we've looked at quite a lot broadly at the new grad experience. So the importance of getting really good advice and looking at how workplaces um, and employers market their mentoring and then Mm. thinking about your experience of being a new grad clinician and the importance of mentoring and support and not just support for what you do, but also your emotional support and your support for your development as a person and talking about how that support doesn't necessarily have to come from above it can come from beneath it can come from your even from your patients but also from your practitioners and peers that you work with and then you talked about the importance of evidence-based practice and um, praising the literature and having a bit of a journal club at work let's leave it there all mm-hmm. right brian thanks very much for the chat and listeners uh please find the share button and like and share and distribute this episode with a friend so we can get these episodes out to other people that will find them interesting and make sure you tag Susanna and I in at Periton Physio. Um, In episode four, Brian's given us a bit of a summary of his, um, where you can contact him and you can find him. So you can look that up in episode four Um, and you can find links to all the podcast players and all the different podcast players in our website, which is periton.physio. And thanks very much, Brian, for coming on for a chat. Appreciate no it. Worries. Thank you. So until next time, this is Brian and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.